want you to open your Bible tonight to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You're living in a time in which Christian people in so many different areas and places seem to feel like how you understand the Bible is an option. Because you hear people say it, you've heard this your whole life. Well, that's the way you see it. I don't see it that way. Well, we don't believe it that way. It's like there's more than one way for truth to be understood. And in both cases, even though they're on different planets, it's okay. Now, I want to talk tonight on this, getting it right. That's the title of the message, getting it right. Now, our text says, and it's familiar to all of you, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, there's a whole lot in the Bible telling us to get it right. We're told, for example, to prove all things and hold fast to that which is good because not everything you hear is right and not everything you want to embrace or believe or hold fast to is right. you got to get it right because if you get it wrong here, then the whole walk is going to be wrong. There's going to be frustrations and difficulties through the whole walk. Another verse in Acts chapter 17, Luke was telling about the Thessalonians. Remember, they were more noble-minded than others. He said because over in Thessalonica, he said the Brians were noble-minded in that what they heard you say, they searched the Scriptures to see if that's what the Bible said. That's, you know, that's not very common today. If you think of the fact that many Christians go to church without a Bible and they take for granted that whatever they hear is okay. And that doesn't mean you're getting it right. That doesn't always mean you're hearing what's right. You may hear a version of right. It may not be right. So the Bible tells you these folks search the Scriptures daily so they can make sure that what they heard you say was right. And the standard for what's right or true, is what we call the word of truth. First John, they were commended. John said they were commended because they would try the spirits to see what spirit is speaking. Or in the churches in the book of Revelation, you have found those who said they were apostles. You tested them. You challenged them and found out that some of them weren't. And so you're not likely a candidate to be deceived by those people because you had you had enough of the Spirit of God in you to drive you that you wanted to make sure that what somebody said, you understood what they meant. And if what they meant wasn't what the Bible said, then you're not going to believe it. I'm not going to receive that. Now, some people would call that the element of being a right-winger or being aloof or dogmatic or legalistic. But God may just call it being wise as well as being wary, being cautious, circumspect and sober, realizing that every time you come together in a called assembly and the word's going to be proclaimed, you've got an opportunity to grow. You've got an opportunity to gather in some portion of the word you might have never seen or heard or understood before. But you're never left with the freedom to believe anything you hear because somebody important to you said it. 
some famous figure, some loving and kind man, or some book writer that's a theologian or something. No accomplishment in this world, in a school of learning, makes you right. The only thing that makes you right is God. And the only thing you can say that's right is what agrees with God and his word. See, people don't like it that way. Man likes the idea of bringing God down to his level and saying, well, what he probably meant was this. And then he has a way of making a little religion out of his viewpoints or his opinions. And he begins to walk in a way that's not the way God told him to walk. you got to get it right. Your whole life is about choices. Everybody and you live by choices. Everything you do is a choice you made. Who you marry. How you live. How you spend your money. What you do with your free time. Your opinion of other people. How you discuss or talk. Everything about you is an indication of what you believe. Whatever influence has been in your life will be seen by how you live. I know in my pre-Christian days, uh, it wasn't, I was just a gob, a good old boy, G-O-B. And uh, people like good old boys, and good old boys like good old boys, and good old girls, and it wasn't much of religion or Christianity in our life except for that rare discussion where your opinion was enough. But I realized once I became a Christian, everything I do, Everything I say is a reflection of what I believe. You know that? The way you drive. The way you pay or don't pay your bills. The way you treat your family. The way you treat your kids. How, what kind of a parent you are, if you're a parent. Everything about you is a reflection of what you believe. Not what you've heard, what you believe. The church has heard many things it does not believe or has forgotten or left off to believe. Or as the Bible says, they've let it slip. They just really didn't have any interest in believing it that way. But we live by choices. We make decisions every day. Everybody in here does. And you've got to get it right. Your testimony is on the line. How God deals with you, His measure of grace, is all about your all about your choices and all about your decisions. You really need to get it right. For the standard of right, as you well know, is God. He is a righteous God. He alone, anything that's right, has to be what's right with Him. Your opinion doesn't make it right. Your goodness doesn't make it right. His word makes it right. This is how we live. You know, the just shall live by faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. This is the way we live. If you want to know how you're doing, look in the word. The Bible calls it a mirror. We're told to examine ourselves to see if we really are in the faith or not. But that's a good thing. Because, you see, if we're not, and your heart's right, you can admit it. I'm not doing well. Well, you can get it right. All you have to do is say, admit you're wrong, admit God is right, make that adjustment, repent of what you've done, and God is long-suffering. He doesn't throw you out. He'll bring you in. But if you insist on doing it your way, then you're going to struggle your whole life. You're going to be full of more questions than there are answers. You'll quit praying because it doesn't work. Seldom do any, does anything happen, and 
seldom does anything ever work the way you want it to work. But you find the Bible says you got to make a decision. You know what what else it says? Remember the book, the verse in Proverbs? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not. And then the next verse says, that was verse 5. Verse 6 says, in all your ways, everything you do, whatever expression of your life is seen by anybody, what does he say in verse 6? Acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Now listen. If my steps, if my way and manner of life, where I'm going and how I'm going, pleases God, then I have grace going to be with me all my life. I'm going to have inspiration constantly. That is, I have this presence with me because I've chosen to make a decision to no longer do it my way or hold to my opinions, but to let go of self and take up the Lord. And if God said it, that's the way it is. I may lose all my friends over this. I may lose a lot of things. It'll cost you the income tax time. You have to be honest, but you please God because you got to get it right. If you want favor from heaven, you got to get it right now down here on this earth. But if you compromise, talking about religion now, if you start compromising, if you start cutting corners, if you start making excuses as to why you can't do all of that or you're not ready for all of that and that's too hard and well, that's beyond and that's just too legal. When you start making excuses as a way of dismissing yourself from the responsibility of doing things God's way, you begin to partake of leaven and not the word of God. Leaven, what's that? Well, that leaven is a thing that's all over the Bible. Would you turn to Galatians 5 for just a moment? How many of you know the devil is constantly at work seeking to devour whomever he can? That word devour means to drink down, to take the sap out of you, to take the zeal out of your life, to reduce you to hope and not faith. To get you to fall back and say, well, I don't know about all of that. Just something like that. That's a resignation to less than what God promises. Now, that's the devil's work. To get you to draw back. Ease up. Or, he said, faint. Did you ever heard of a due season? In due season, you should what? Now you know what it is. If what? So then guess who is behind fainting? Fainting is not just falling down with your eyes closed and hitting the ground hard. Fainting is a spiritual withdrawal from zeal. It's just letting things ride. You know, I've been a Christian now for 30 years, and, I, you know, I, I, I'm pretty well into this. And you begin to drift. You don't know you're drifting because you're resting on the past, and you don't know you're drifting. You're letting some things slide. You didn't used to let them slide. You're letting them slide now. That's the devil's work. And you're noticing that you're struggling more in your prayer life. Your commitment to the things of God is not quite as strong as it used to be. There was a time you wouldn't miss, and now, you know, a little bit comes up and you're gone. And, you know, 
It's just a pattern that the devil throws at you in this world to make you uncomfortable, to make you dissatisfied. You're not good enough for all those promises, all those things that God said. Well, now you don't know about that. And the next thing you know, you begin to listen to what people say about what the Bible says and what they think it meant. Now, Galatians 5, talking about this mixture of the world with the word, it's called leaven. And what does it say in Galatians 5, a little what? What does it do? Now, that's not good. A little leaven, the Bible says, leavens the whole lump. I would interpret that like this. If I was going to paraphrase all of that, Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. You don't have to turn to that. Jesus said to his followers, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is, he mentioned, hypocrisy. Now, the Pharisees could quote it. They dressed up like it. They had all the appearance of being the elite religious class in society. If you want to know who's religious, look at the Pharisees. Boy, they, they dress in it. They walk like it. And they're, all the outward expressions. They had all of that. But Jesus said they're hypocrites because they pick and choose what they want to believe. Yes, they get things right on occasion, but they leave so much out because they don't want it and they don't get that right and it corrupts the rest of it. That's what mingling is. That's what leaven does. You begin to mingle. You begin to mix what mama said, daddy said, brother Joe said, preacher on the radio said, a book you read said. That's a lot of saids. You begin to put all these other people's ideas together and you try to interpret the word of God by what everybody else says. They don't all say the same thing. So the devil says, well, what do you think it says? And then you get your opinion. And you come up with a version. Next thing you know, down through history, you got a Baptist version, a Methodist version, a Presbyterian version, a Church of God version, a Pentecostal version, a Catholic version, Episcopalian version. And how many other hundreds of versions do you get? And they're all different. And many of the churches are built around that interpretation of a man. And they all leave something out that they don't want it to do. We don't want this charismatic influence, for example, not in our church. If it's a dead church, there's a lot of things we just don't want to do. We don't want all the clapping, shouting, and carrying on. We do want this to be a dignified, quiet service. That pleases man. There may be important people come here tonight, and we want you to be pleased and we don't want you to be disturbed by loudness and amen. We'd like to power that down a little bit and make everybody just happy and so that we can just concentrate on God. Well, that sounds pretty good. But the problem is that's not the way people live. That's not the way it works. So we begin to have a form of godliness. There's a certain way we have understood that a Christian ought to do things in church on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter so much how you live, but just how we meet together and how we do things, it ought to be done this way, it ought to be done that way, it ought to be done this way. But we have this idea of how we ought to do things, and really we're playing a game. We're acting out an opinion. We're acting out, as the Bible calls it, man's fables. People lean to the man's way rather than God's way. 
You remember it says that in Second Timothy 4. In the last days especially, they will heap to themselves teachers. Remember that? Having itching ears and will turn aside their ears from the truth to man's fables. Because I can follow a man much easier than I can follow God because I can look at a man and see how flawed he is. But when I read about God and he said, be like that, like Jesus, there's no way I can do that. In fact, I don't even want to try. But I like to get around people that are flawed like I am and we've got excuses for why we're flawed, then I'm all right. We're just a bunch of good old boys and girls. But if you don't get it right, who said you were blessed? I don't care how big it is, how many are here, how beautiful it is, how much money. That doesn't mean that God is in it. You ever heard that verse? That verse of Scripture says, in the last days, God shall send them strong delusion. This is in religious context. Church context. God will send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie. Is that possible? Is it possible that religion could be a lie? It contains truth, but it doesn't live by that. Is it possible that a church could have a form of godliness but deny the power of it? Is it possible that there is a way that seems to be right, but it's a way of death? Oh, my goodness. I don't want to be a part of any way that winds up in judgment as death. I don't want any part of that. Do you? Then I better get it right. I want to get it right now. I don't want to follow a system, a man, or anything that might lead me into turmoil or, worse of all, death. And on the day of judgment, if you didn't make it, God isn't going to say, where's that preacher misled you, that old bad thing? He'll get his. But he'll look at you and say, you didn't have to believe everything you heard. I gave you a Bible. I sent the Holy Spirit to interpret it for you. But you were so lazy and so accommodating to the system you were in, you didn't check any of it out to see if it was right or not. Everybody was doing it, so you said, well, it must be all right. Plus, if you found out something wasn't right and you'd change, they'd run you off. And you don't want that because you're too nice. It's your names and your community and all of that is involved. What are we going to do? But you see, when you submit to leaven, to the mixture, the social goodness gospel, the let's leave out the hard parts of the Bible. Let's just make everybody comfortable. See, the death in the last days in religion is comfort and happiness. The preacher is paid to make them comfortable, make them happy. And what the Bible says, if it's going to bother people, don't say that. You want to be comfortable and happy. Plus, if you make them comfortable and happy, they'll bring their friends. Next thing you know, you got a bigger church, a lot of money coming in, and off you go. But you have death. See how that sounds bad. But it's a system of death. Because you didn't get it right when you started. And even if anybody or all of us in here have got started wrong or on the wrong foot, we're here tonight. We can deal with it. We can do something about it. You have to decide if you're on the right track or the wrong track. 
Because if you're following leaven, if you're a Levenite, if you're into Levenism, if you're Levenistic, what other way can I use the word leaven? If you are into Levenitis, here's what happens. You stop pursuing and you begin assuming. You quit seeking to know the truth. I want to go where I'm expecting to hear the truth, but I want the truth that I expect to hear to be confirmed by the Bible while I'm there. Because when I stop checking it out, when I stop making it right, I'm no longer pursuing. I'm now starting to assume. Brother so-and-so, he's been our pastor for so many years. We, we all just trust him. Well, good. I'd hate to think he's been there that long and been wrong. Does that mean all of y'all wrong? Or y'all, wherever y'all are. The thing about it is, if they preach it, I want to know that that's what the Bible says. I just want to know that what I'm believing tonight standing here, I want to know that what I'm counting on to be in right standing with God is what the Bible says. And then I want to make sure that I'm living it. Because if I get that wrong, that I become a hearer of the word, but I'm not a doer of the word. And that the Bible condemns that, to be a hearer and not a doer. So you got to get it right. Yes, you got to hear the word, but when you hear it, you got to realize now you're responsible to live like this. Whatever decision you got to make, whatever choice, whatever you got to do, you got to do this. You got to get it right. Now, our text, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Two things primarily are spoken or addressed here. One, we are workers. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians says, unto good works. Y'all believe that? It is Ephesians 2, 2, 6, I think. He said, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto. So, first thing we see in 2 Timothy 2 is God identifies us, or again in the scripture tells us that we were saved for a purpose. We have a function on this earth. There is something that is given to us to do. We call that a calling. Nobody is allowed to sit back and do nothing in, with regard to his salvation. Nobody. If you believe something, what you believe will be seen in what you do, in what you say, and how you act. Because that's what you believe. Faith without works, if you say you believe God, you believe and you should and you believe this, then, then this should be evidenced by how you live. Otherwise, you're into hypocrisy. That's what we were warned against. Get it right. So the first thing is that we are called to be his workmanship. We do God's bidding on this earth. We are here for a purpose, saved for a purpose, Never to sit around and give opinions throughout our life, but to be actively doing God's bidding on this earth. Witnessing 
preaching, teaching, helping, whatever it is that he wants us to do, that's what we do. Now, second thing in 2 Timothy that he talks about is that we must be followers, personally followers, of the Word of God. There was a time a few years ago we called that being a stickler for the Word. I mean, we zero in on the, on the Word and we command our wills. I command myself. This is the way you must live, Tom Hamilton. This is, this is what's given you to do. This is the way we're supposed to live. Let's begin with the first one, the workman. A workman. There's three things about a workman that it says in that verse. Three things. Number one, he says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed. Now, the word study does not mean read the Bible and do all of that. The word study is a Greek word that has to do with to make every effort to do one's best. To make, your, make it your effort to do your best. Now, when a person admits, maybe all of us have said this, well, I know I'm not doing as good as I can, then you're not doing your best. I'm not exempting myself from I've said that myself. Well, I could do better. There's been many days in my life I have let distractions rule my time. And I put things off, procrastinate, and not doing things the way that they should. Even knowing, you know, well, I can do that. Well, you know, so we start doing that. That's a choice I made. It wasn't a good one. But thank God for repentance and thank God for convictions because that's how you turn yourself back around, and that is a good thing. But the word study means to make every effort to do your best. It means to be earnest, to be eager, to be diligent. That's what study means. The picture you get is that when God brought you out of that miry clay and set your feet up on a rock in his courts, planted you in his courts, these are all biblical expressions, brought you before him as the focus of what he's going to do on this earth that involves you, he wants you to commit yourself to him in such a way that for the rest of your life, you're going to determine to find out what God wants you to do with your life and how you should do it and pursue that. Now, again, I don't know that anybody is perfectly perfect in all of these ways. I know there are religious spirits that drive people beyond what they should be doing. Because some people feel like I can only worship God if I'm doing, 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 going, 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 going. That's not necessarily true. There were days in Jesus' life that he withdrew himself to a quiet place to do nothing but rest. He wasn't doing anything. He was just resting. There's nothing wrong with that. God gave us that to do. You cannot, by works, earn God's favor. But God's favor shows you what to do. And then when you do that, he adds grace to grace. So that at the end of the day, there's peace and joy in your life. You know that you did your best, you tried your best, because that's what the word study means. Let me show you how this word study is used in another, with another English word in Hebrews. Would you look at Hebrews, put your finger in 2 Timothy 2, and look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. There's a word in Hebrews 4, 11 that is the same Greek word as study. Are you there, Hebrews 4, 11? You see the word labor? 
labor to enter into that rest. God's rest is a way of life orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, which makes it work. It's just God leading in such a way that whatever you do, however you yield yourself to God, the results are are like rest. There's more to it than that. But because that's important to God and because God wants it to be like that with us, he said, labor to enter into that rest. Do your best. Be in earnest about it. Don't join church like I did as a kid. Don't just join church so you can take communion. Don't join church because you're embarrassed that everybody else gets to take communion and you don't, or, or you're, you've never gone forward in the church to get saved. That today only means that you're joining church. It doesn't mean you really got saved. It could happen, and sometimes it did. It did with me. But this word study, to get the picture you get, is somebody who is, who is striving to get it right. I want to get it right. I don't want to have to change my course somewhere down the road. I want to get it right. Now, I'm making an effort to get it right. A second word is the word approved. Approved. Keep your finger in 2 Timothy 2 and look in James chapter 1 and verse 12. And you see another word, same Greek word, translated a little differently. In James chapter 1 and verse 12. See, the word approved means to be tried and tested. Today you'd say it's been through the laboratory testings. If it was an automobile tire, they drilled holes in it, drove it to the moon and back, and and you can be sure that it'll work on this earth. Or if it's uh, some kind of a drug or a pill or a refrigerator or something, it's been tested and hammered, thrown off a hill, dropped in, and it still works. If it's a forward, it still works and all of that. Because it's been tested and put to the test. It's proven. It's been proven through testing and through difficulties and through circumstances that were, whoa, divinely arranged. God ordered circumstances to test the product that the, the person he's called to be his own. God knows your heart. He knows the end from the beginning. So it's not something he's trying to find out. He already knows. But you don't know where you are. You don't know how strong you are. You don't know how committed you are or how weak you are. You don't know if you're going to faint or hold fast. You don't know, but you'll find out. God will make sure there are divinely arranged trials and testings in your life. Peter said, think it not strange concerning these fiery trials. All right. Are you in James 1 now? Okay, you made it. James chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptations. Once he is tried. See the word tried? That's the same word approved in 2 Timothy 2. For once he is approved, what will happen to him? He shall receive a crown, doesn't he? But in order to get the crown, what does he do? He stands the test. Or we could put it like this, not the same word, same family. Brethren, he said, count it all joy. Where does it say that? James. James 1. Count it all 
joy when you encounter divers different kinds of trials, circumstances, you know, big ones and little ones. Counter joy. Knowing this, if you've been taught, you've listened, you know this, that the testing of your faith, what you say you believe, worketh patience. Patience is what keeps you from running. Patience and endurance is what keeps Christians from falling back and giving up and fainting and losing hope. Patience. Endurance is a better word. Steadfastness. The test of your faith brings out, brings to the surface steadfastness. And the Bible says, let that steadfastness have its perfect, completing, fulfilling work. What the word perfect means, bringing to its full end. Let that have its full end result so that when it's done, you may be found perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's when you've got it right. That's when you didn't turn, as the Bible said, to the left or to the right. Well, my right and your left. When you took it, like he said to Joshua in Joshua 1, Give heed to these words. Do not turn to the left or to the right. Stay with it. Don't look around and look who's not going with it. They're all, it doesn't matter. You stay with it. Though none go with me, though none go with me, still I will follow. Why do you still follow? Because when he saved you, you made a commitment. The commitment was the first right thing you're going to do. And you're going to feed that right way by continually making right decisions to do what is right. You get it right. When you get it right, listen to me, and I know, Bonnie and I can testify this as well as a number of you. When you get it right, you want it right, and you maintain it and trying to keep it right to the best of your ability, you seem like you have favor all the time. It just seemed like there's always favor of some degree there. Now, sometimes, well, I'm not, well, maybe you're going through a trial. Maybe it's a test. We all go through those. What I said was not intended to discount or ruin anybody's day. We all have tests and trials. But if there's something about this word that makes you uneasy, perhaps you've got something wrong. Maybe you're leaving something out or not wanting something in. You've got to get it right. You've got to get it right. A third thing, go back to 2 Timothy. Not only are we to study to show ourselves approved, but he said thirdly, so that we won't be ashamed. There's a poem that I, I know has several verses to it. I've memorized it, most of it. I'll have to work on it to do the whole thing. See, the poem is about a little boy, and the Lord came and said, I want you to serve me. He said, not right now. Then he came to a young man. I want you to come now. I'm, I, the pleasures of life hold me in sway, he said. And he came to an older man, a maturing man. And he said, I'm just busy right now. I, just, I don't have time for all that. Then the last part of the poem is there's an old man leaning on his staff. And with a quavering and bitter sigh, quavering, you know, that voice is not steady like it used to be. The time has ravaged his body and his, you know, aging is not something you can do much about. Except you ought to jump in on that one. But 
The old man leans on his staff, and with a bitter sigh, he said, I've wasted a lifetime in sin, and now I'm going to die. I've come to the end of my life. I've had an entire lifetime to live, and there is absolutely nothing of God to show for it. Opportunities have been throughout my life. God in his graciousness has visited me numerous times and said, come, I want you now. There's work to be done. You said, boy, childhood's for fun and play some other day. Oh, Lord, I'm too busy to pray (laughs) some other day. That old man said, no use praying now. There's no more hope. I'm done. I've heard a lot of Christians in my lifetime. Most of them have said what would qualify here for being ashamed. Been in church for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years. And really nothing significant that borders on God using them for, on the behalf of other people has ever happened. Their whole life was about me. Just like this world you're in now. This world you're in is all about you. Me, mine, mine. Us four, no more. Acts 2, 4. And that's what it's all about. Get mine. Give it to somebody. Just do do your own thing. You only live once, live it to the hilt. Shoot for the moon, you might hit the sun or whatever. And then all of this self-made stuff. And you one day, all these self-made, selfish, self-serving people hit that wall. God, I think, sees to it. There you stand at a time in your life, you're not cute anymore, you're not handsome anymore, you're a little on the ugly side, to tell you the truth. Nobody, your mother would never tell you that. The preacher would. You don't look good no more. Nobody even looking at you anymore. Look at you. All them times you went to church, all you could do is go, and all you could do is yak, wag that tongue like you had a ratchet jaw about how much you didn't agree with this and agree with that, and you have nothing of God in your life. And you reach the end of your life, and you got nothing to show for it. Your life has been all about you. left God out of it. Or you're a Christian, and you've been told to power down. If you raise your hand, you're good to go forever. I don't care what you do, how you live, who you hurt, or what you, where you go, you are going to heaven anyway. And so you didn't need, there was no need to do anything. That's like telling some old robust sinner that God loves him. Well, God can't do more for anybody than to love them. And if God loves you, you can't, what else can you get? I'm in. I'm in, the old boy says. He never goes to church, he never gets saved, but God loves him. Somebody told him that. Didn't matter what he did, where he was. God loved him. I'll guarantee you one thing about him. He didn't get it right. And wherever that fellow was sitting that was told, or that lady, whoever, that person, wherever that person was that was told that any way you want to live is all right, they didn't get that right either. That became a license to sin. And at what point does God no longer regard sin? Well, he doesn't. But somebody believed the lie, that's what happened. But a man is ashamed when he is 
not faithfully performing his duty. The things that God gives him to do. When he looks back at his life, he finds nothing. He doesn't even find the widow's might in his life. I mean, I have nothing with my whole life. Since I've been a Christian in a church, I've done absolutely nothing but sit and listen to sermons my whole life. I've never won anybody to Christ. I've never led anybody to Jesus. In fact, I haven't talked to very many people. They would say my whole life about Jesus. We hire a preacher to do that for us. You show little for your, what's your Christian life for? What good was it? I, I could sing if you wanted to. Bonnie reminded me tonight. She said, you said Sunday, how many people just come to church when they want to? She said, I want to all the time. I said, well, I ain't talking to you. Uh, don't reach the end of your life ashamed of all the opportunities you've had that you wasted. This world is full of hurting people. Some of them are in your own family. Some of them are your children or your children's children, depending on how old you are. Or that neighbor next door, that teacher you used to have, that person you grew up with. There's somebody out there that if, if somebody doesn't get to them, they're not going to make it. They're going to go to hell when this world's over. Sure, they're nice people. I'm sure they went to church and had ideas about God. And they would say, I believe in God. Well, so does the devil. The devil believes in God. They never thought about the question, why would God let you in heaven? Why will you go to heaven? What are you going to say? Well, because uh, I'm a good person. Jesus said no man is good. That won't fly. Why would God let you in heaven? I asked a boy that not long ago, and he didn't know what to say because he didn't know. He had never been taught for one thing. That was never a priority in his life to get that right because if you don't get that right, if you don't get your salvation right, your whole life is wrong. The whole thing's wrong. You're good in your own eyes or you're good in the estimation of your friends or your family, but in the eyes of God, there is a way that is right, and it's this way. And you got to measure up to this. This is like a mirror. You hold it up. You see what God says. This is the way you have to live. This is the way it works. Or as Henry Alford in his very heady commentary said that not being ashamed means not being ashamed of the work that you've done. Not disappointed in yourself for how lazy and inept and all that that you have been. Go back to Timothy now. The second thing he said that I said there's two points there. One is being a worker, a workman. And the second thing is rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, nobody can do that for me. I've got to do that myself. I cannot depend on the skill or the intellect or the perceived spirituality of a man and assume that what he's saying is right. It certainly sounds right, but the only way to know it's right is what? Is to go back and search this, this scripture. The word rightly dividing the truth, the word rightly dividing only occurs once in the Bible. It's, it's used only right here. And the word means to cut straight or to divide right. And it really means that you're holding yourself 
well, to the plumb line. Remember the plumb line that, that Hosea spoke about? He said, I'm going to hold a plumb line. You know, they build walls. You want to make sure the wall is straight, so they hold a plumb line up to it. If the string is the same at the top as it is at the bottom, the wall is straight. You hold it up, and it's straight. God says, I hold the same kind in a spiritual sense. I hold a plumb line in not only a congregation, but in your personal life. See, see, my word is like this. This is, this is a measuring rod. This is right. The law of gravity and how this makes everything exactly perpendicular is right. And it's like the word of God. This is what God measures anybody by. He even said about false prophets, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. I don't care how good they sound. If they're not saying what I say, they have no light. And what you're getting is darkness. That's not getting it right to get darkness. So he said, you said it right. You correctly teach the word of truth. Before you ever start teaching, if you think you're going to explain or teach something, get it right. Before you start giving your opinions, make sure they're right. If you're going to teach your Sunday school class or your meetings or whatever you have, before you even get there, make sure you've got it right. Is that right? That is right. Make sure you've got it right. How do you know if it's right? Does it agree with the Bible? Or are you leaving the Bible out and putting your self-projected opinions in this thing because people like, like you to do that? For example, if you use myself, before you come out here, before you start talking, you need to make sure you get it right. It's going to take time to do that. I've been doing it for 40 years. And I can tell you, you might not think so, but I can tell you now, I cannot just come out and start preaching. A guy asked me if that's what I did one time. He said, do you ever study? You did. I knew what he was trying to do. And I came just that sarcastically close to saying, study? No. I quit that years ago. I don't have to study no more. I know, I know everything so much. I've got so much in my hard drive that, man, I can kick a button here and hit a switch there and it just rolls out. But I can say this, when there is an anointing, it does. I mean, there's been a lot dropped in here for 40 or 50 years. I mean, there's a whole lot gone in. That doesn't mean you know it. You can just quote it. But a lot of it is life. That's what keeps you from getting in trouble when you're tempted. Because you start to say something or do something and something been lodged in your heart for years. says, I'll swat you good, boy. And the fear of God keeps you from saying what you shouldn't say, looking at what you shouldn't look at, or saying what you shouldn't say. See, you got it right. That's the right thing to do. That's the purpose of conviction is to not only get you right, but to keep you right. It's the way God deals with us. He wants us to be right. He made a big deal out of that. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and... His righteousness. Romans 14, what is it, 18? said, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness. And then the resulting peace 
and joy in the Holy Ghost. Even when there's trouble around, even when difficult times come, hardships come, there's joy and peace there because you've got it right going into it. You're not afraid. He delivers you from all your fears. Whom should I fear? What should I be afraid of? God be with me. Who can be against me? All of this stuff comes up. But I think this brother just wanted to needle me a little bit. And it's his way of saying, you know, you're not much. And I would have told him, you're right about that. I never did see myself as much. If I did, I'd have printed me a brochure and put my face on that thing and said, world leader. But I've fallen on my face enough to know that there's nothing much there. Because we're all unprofitable servants when you get right down to it. Nobody's real classy. You know that? Nobody's real classy in this room. Nobody's a standout. All of us have been redeemed by the grace of God from sin that condemned us. And we've been brought to him at his invitation. Some of us he gives this, some he gives that. But he is the one who is author of our salvation. And he alone gets all the glory. And when he chooses to anoint a servant or anoint one of his children to do something, some of those works he wants you to do, it'll get done, it'll get done right, he'll be glorified. He'll get glorified and it'll be exactly what he wants. See, without the pure word, you can't get it right. I said, what's the pure word? Some fancy word? No, the, the word pure comes from the word sincere. It's First Peter 2. He said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Right, the word sincere is a word which means unadulterated, not mixed with man's views. It's the book right here. What you've been given, you're holding it in your lap, is what you measure the preacher by, measure yourself by. Measure what we're doing by. What does it say here? If they speak not according to the word, remember, they have no truth. So the word sincere is our word pure. And what do we have? What do any of us have without the pure word? We have a word that's mingled, a mixture. Yes, we quote the Bible, we have that, but we also have things that are explained away. We're told that some of these things that God said are not for today. Things that God put in the church. Well, you know, in the early church, God put these gifts in the church, and uh, now those things are not for today. I think, is the church still for today? Do we still have church? Well, then if he put it in the church and the church is still here, good morning, sunshine. Those things are still here. We may not see it. That doesn't mean that it didn't. Turn to Second Peter. Put your, keep your finger in Second Timothy and turn to Second Peter as we begin to come to a, a close. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. Here's what happens when the word you're hearing or the word that is proclaimed is impure. It is not clean. It is mixed with man's tales. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. Peter speaking about what Paul had been writing, as in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. 
Let, let me bring out something here. Let me tell you something. This statement here verifies that what Paul wrote was truly Scripture. It wasn't just a letter. They didn't know it then. We know it now. They, it was not just a letter he wrote to encourage, edify, or correct saints. But Peter refers to it as Scripture. Let me go on. As in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, of which are hard, some things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other Scriptures unto their own destruction. Do you see the two words unstable and what's the other word? Rest. That's what happens when man sets aside the word of God and gives people something else beside it. He mentions the word of God. You talk about it. But he said, well, now we know the Bible says that. But but here for us today is what it means. And he leads people away from the truth. And those people have taken a step in the wrong direction, and the rest of their life is going to be flawed to some degree. It's not going to work for them the way it's supposed to. If God said this is the way walking in it, and somebody can talk you out of walking exactly that way, you can walk that way. God's gracious and long-suffering. But your life will be minus a lot of good things. Amen. God holds himself to his word. The Bible said God watches over his word to perform it. He never slumbers and he never sleeps. So he is always paying attention to his word. And anybody that comes to him and brings him his word got his attention. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, then we know that we have it. You got it right. You got it right. That's the way it's supposed to be. But he said, they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto what? At the end of that verse. Let me tell you something. You may get tired of it because I talk about it a lot, but it's so true in these last days, especially in this ecumenical age of watered-down mixed religion and where nothing is absolute. I want to make it absolute. Don't get caught up in that stuff in this hour. If they speak not according to this word and you follow it, you're following darkness. That's a bad choice. You didn't have to. You had a book, the Holy Spirit, to correct you. You might have been singled out for adversity by making a stand. They might have asked you to leave or wouldn't ask you to come to their meetings anymore. But you're right with God. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in John 6? And they said all of his followers left him. And Jesus said to his own disciples, said, will you go with him? You know what they told him? Listen to this. They said to him, in only three years of following the word, they knew this. More than the church does today, they said, where would we go? For thou hast the words of life. The thing that causes us to function right is the entrance of those words in our hearts. Oh, we're not comfortable always with it, but we know it works. I mean, every time I put that to the test, God brings it out. Turn to 2 Timothy. Go back towards where we started, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. These verses should be familiar to you also. 
having a form of godliness, but what? Let me ask you a question. Why would they deny the power of it? Unless somebody talked them out of it. The reason they have a form, holy, holy, and do all the right religious things tradition has taught them, but they expect nothing to happen. And when somebody gets into the gifts or something, oh, no, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. And verse 7 tells you why. Ever learning and never able to come to what? The knowledge of the truth. How can that be? Because they didn't get it right when they started and all their efforts are futile. Do you think you can live wrong and God will grace you with revelation? Doesn't work like that. You can be very religious. My daddy, as I've said before, was in the Catholic Church his whole life. And he, he was Catholic. My granny was mega Catholic. When he came to the end of his life, there was nothing there. When it came to grasping a hold of the truth that comes in that valley of the shadow, there wasn't anything in his life there. Nothing there. He had a form. No power. He never learned much because they didn't teach much, if they ever taught at all. But there are those in the Bible, and Timothy just describes this, not only do they have a form without the power that you should avoid people like that, he said. But he said they're ever learning. They go to meeting after meeting, revival after revival, whatever after whatever. They're ever learning, and they never get it. They never get it right. How can that be? Well, it is It is true. Paul told Timothy, when he wrote to Timothy, he said, Timothy, you labor. You labor in the Word. Sixteen times in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Sixteen verses in those three short books have the word doctrine in them. To labor in doctrine. In fact, go to 1 Timothy 4, as we do come to a close. 1 Timothy 4, look at verse 15. Talking about what we've been talking about tonight, getting it right and leaving out leaven. I don't want you to be a leavenite. Get caught up in the leavenism. Don't want you to do that. Can't keep anybody from it. Remember, leaven is a mixture of man and the world which excludes God's grace. The form without the power. A way that seems right, but essentially is death. It'll take you nowhere. I guess maybe I've been to, in my lifetime, in my travels from here to yonder, from that side of the world to this side of the world, up and back, down and south, north and south, Asia, Europe, South America, so many places that I have been are full of so many people who have no determined interest in the Word of God. They really come to hear what you have to say without really regard for what you said. I've been in lots and lots of churches in which people never brought a Bible. I don't even know if they own them. 
I know they can read, and I know all. I mean, I know they got a Bible and all. I'm just saying that, that we're living in a time in which we just assume that what we're hearing is all right. It's the church we chose to go to, therefore I'm sure it's all right. But it's not like that. you got the responsibility, as I've already said, to get it right. First Timothy 4, here's what Paul said to the young minister, Timothy. Timothy, he'd been talking about studying and doctrine and keeping yourself clean, all that. He said, take heed unto yourself and into the doctrine. That's the teaching. Continue in them, notice, for in doing this, he said, thou shalt both save yourself, and who else will be saved? Them that hear you. Let me ask you this. How many people in a church service hear? Really listen. Are really into listening? Not many. Not many. They could, but not necessarily do. But Timothy, he said, you make a decision. Get it right yourself. In that or you're going to study, prepare your, your messages and, and, and the direction of your life, where and when and how. Make sure you've got direction from God. Make sure you research these, these scriptures. Make sure you're putting things together that are rightly dividing and not corrupting and making you right at the expense of somebody's attitude in the church. Just make sure you're getting it right. He said, because if you have the right heart in doing this, you not only will save yourself, but everybody who hears you. I don't think there's a better promise in the whole Bible for a minister than that one. You realize what he said? That if we put the word first and the rightness and the purity of it, and we proclaim it and continue to proclaim it and hammer it home, we not only assure salvation for ourselves, but for all those who hear us. And what I was going to preach about tonight, I didn't get to, but it was this. Multitudes are being misled, brought into error, are getting it wrong. How do we make sure we get it right? I don't want to go back and preach three sentences a whole week for an hour next week, or maybe 50, 30 minutes would be all right. When's the last 30 minute sermon we had? Wouldn't be bad to do a 30-minute. How many of you vote for a 30-minute sermon? The kids would. It's your responsibility to make sure that your life comes under the oversight of God when he calls you. Nobody else can do it. Nobody else can do that for you. You're told to buy the truth and sell it not. Get it while you can. Draw nigh to the Lord while he may be found. Isaiah 55, when he is near, when he may be found, that's the only time you can get it right. Pray that you'll get it all right, that it'll be right, and you'll do right. And there's more to it than that, but we'll, we'll wait another day. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. We recognize tonight that we are but human. We're human flesh. We're vulnerable. And we're so weak that we need your help all the time. It's hard to admit, but we truly are poor in spirit. That you have a supply that we need every day in our life.
We never have too much of that, Lord. I want to thank you for your goodness and your kindness, for your willing to tolerate us and bear with us, to lead us and guide us to be our shepherd. I want to thank you for all of that. Now, I pray that every person that's here tonight and everybody who watches and listens will be determined to get it right. And if it's not right and they're convicted of it, that they'll make it right and get it right and make whatever adjustments they have to make to be right so that we can truly end this walk in this world by being in Christ. Not out, but in. And I ask you to bless everybody here tonight in that way, in Jesus' name. Amen.